Welcome back, everybody, to this episode of the Team Blaney Podcast. My name is Adam Rogers, and alongside me is co-host Steve Mez. The Team Blaney Podcast is brought to you by fans for fans. Steve and I have been diehard followers of the Blaney Racing family for two decades. Today, we closely follow third-generation driver Ryan Blaney, who pilots the number 12 Ford Mustang for Team Penske on the NASCAR Cup Series circuit. Each week on the podcast, we will review Ryan's latest NASCAR race and then preview the race for the upcoming weekend, offering news, notes, statistics, and analysis. Welcome back, Steve, to episode four of the Team Blaney podcast, and we're coming fresh off the 63rd running of the Daytona 500, and to kick off the show, that's really what we're going to be talking about. Exactly what happened in that race, um, extremely long rain delay, and then uh, the finish uh, right there at the end. Yeah, yeah, trying to stay awake all night long, especially when you're not quite as invested in it as you would, was at the beginning, you know. Yeah, that was definitely a long day for sure. If people haven't figured it out already, I do uh, live in Florida and we go to Daytona all the time. We actually went to the Xfinity race the day before, dodged the rain, which was fantastic. I just wasn't comfortable pulling the trigger on tickets for Sunday because at that point they're all in the resale market and they were pretty pricey. And I could see our, the rain forecast and I'm like, do I really... I've sat already sat through numerous rain delays at Daytona, and it's not fun. We decided to stay home, and then um, we are uh, east of the track, so pretty much everything that hits us eventually gets there. Or, sorry, west of the track. East of the track would be in the water. Um, we, we, we are west of the track. So uh, everything that, that rain and everything storms that moves through here eventually gets there, and it stormed here for a good part of the day and just kind of knew what was going to happen and... But they did get the race started. Ryan Blaney, race recap. Daytona International Speedway. So, Steve, Ryan, uh, coming into this Daytona 500, obviously finished second last year, won at Talladega, has done really well on plate tracks overall, or sorry, super speedway, tapered spacer tracks, or whatever you want to call them now overall. <laughs> um, he's been one of the top guys that everyone talks about. And leading into this race, several people had picked him to win i think my expectations were pretty high up there he did pretty decent in the duels ended up starting the race in the 14th position and you can take it from there from there they they uh they got to move up one spot because the uh the 24 car um went to a backup car so they moved up technically they were starting 12th once the green flag dropped they did a little chatter on the on the radio beforehand and uh todd said something kind of funny uh they were talking about uh, last year and what happened and he told him well this year we just have to be two and a half feet better over 500 miles which uh was kind of a funny little line the nascar uh, app that had the scanner was having all kind of issues early in the day so it kind of cut in cut out i did get good audio uh, at the time that was most crucial um the the caution that that uh, that caught ryan he was guiding him pretty good through the caution uh he had him go low he was going between a couple cars he got hit really hard from behind by the 77 but he got it under control and got it down to the apron and, and josh had him guided through there pretty well but the eight just kind of came out of nowhere and you couldn't do nothing you couldn't say oh look out or you know but it was just too late cars were kind of all over the place so but that isn't really what killed the car um the grass is what killed the car and I really got to wonder about these tracks with that, with the grass on the front stretch and even on the back stretches like that. Um, if they put blacktop in, at least guys have a chance to steer it or break or something. But you get on that grass, and if it's wet at all, it's just like being on ice. You know, they're just sliding across it. 
Yeah, and we saw that during the Xfinity race the day before. It had rained early in the morning uh, before that race, and a couple of guys spun out, went down into the infield, destroyed their cars. Now, and in the specific crash, obviously it was triggered between what, uh, I almost said Eric Jones. It was Christopher Bell in the 20 and Eric Almarola. Um, some people are criticizing Christopher Bell's move there, saying it was a little bit too early, but I'm not one to throw stones, especially during these races. It's split-second decisions. So that's what triggered the crash. But, yeah, they're, they switched it over, I think, to the, the blimp cam, and um, you can see the car scattering, and I see that 12 car, you know, kind of dodging things. Like you said, get, described it, getting it down to the apron, making it through, and then I just see the 8 coming down. I'm like, no, 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 boom. Then you see it happen. I'm like, oh, good. He's, he's just in the grass. But as soon as he hits the grass, you saw that car slam, hop up into the air, pop back down, and I'm like, it's pretty much done. There's yeah, they, there's no coming they, back. He got down pit road really quickly afterward, and they didn't quite show him right away on TV because they were just showing all the carnage. And um, one of the first things that uh, Todd asked him was, was the oil pressure still okay? And then as the car went down pit road, it was like, oh, God, you know, and that was about it. And then once they got to their pit stall, he just said, shut it off. So they they you know, were just destroyed at the front of the car and things were probably caved in probably the radiator and so forth and once you've done that it's not really worth even trying to do anything with it yeah there's a few guys like tyler reddick from that crash who actually ended up running i think the went the duration uh in a car that looked like a nascar modified by the end of that thing uh the way it was cut up but he was lucky enough to where he didn't it didn't damage their radiator or oil pan but i think ryan's with that crash um i posted the photo the the screen grab uh, from him coming down pit road and you just saw the the nose of that car kind of folded under almost so at that point there's no splitter so there wasn't anything coming back from that it's unfortunate the biggest issue was that it was 14 laps into the race and just really never got a chance to see what that 12 car could do yeah the um the rain delay was what about six hours and you know once they got back from the rain delay a couple teams did what you said they just tried try and put that car back together and there were guys with sawzalls down there and doing everything else and it was crazy that a couple of them did get back out on the track and get some laps or at least enough laps to make it in front of ryan in the finishing order or in front of anybody else who was out in the finishing order um kind of crazy though the 24 car i don't know if you saw this but they fixed it to some extent but at one point on the left rear quarter panel, parts of the car were just flying off the car. And then they waited like two to three laps before they black flagged the car. And the only reason they black flagged it was the, the back end of the tail actually coming off. And what was horrible about that is if they would have done it two or three laps earlier when, they, when that first piece of metal actually came off, they would have saved like two other cars. There was actually cars that got, got the debris from it. So there was a lot of trying real hard to be back out there but there were some some cars that they should have not even let let do it yeah i think what it was the double zero that i think actually ended up running over some of that debris and cutting a tire and then it took out two of them um he ended up in the grass and i think just threw the window net down he was done for the day i forget who the other driver involved in that crash was but i remember when the 24 was coming off pit road i could see that the back section of the car kind of flapping around. I'm like, that's not good. He's got a big parachute back there and you could see it was just barely held on by that tape and um, didn't take very long for that all to come apart. So I did feel really bad. Uh, you're talking about guy or teams that 
immediately as soon as the the red flag was lifted and went to yellow that they started working on those cars and one of them was the 21 team matt de benedetto who waited that whole time <laughs> probably planning and looking at the car and deciding exactly what they were going to do to try and fix it uh under the that six minute clock but immediately they didn't make it <laughs> so it's like they waited you know ryan's team was probably packed up and the truck was probably already headed back north and the the wood brothers team waited that whole time to try which you have to it's, it's points matter yeah. try to uh get that car repaired for five or six hours and then they don't make it and then they got to pack up and leave so that was a little bit disheartening i'm sure yeah, I'm, I don't know how the scoring works with some of that because Ryan ends up 30th and DiBedetto ends up 33rd, but I thought they got back out on track. So I would thought they would have got credit for another lap, but I guess not. They must not have gotten. No, they went to, uh, they did, they ran out of time on the clock. I think they'd come back. They lifted the yellow, their clock started going and they never made it back out. So oh, okay. that's how Ryan, I was surprised you're right. I'm looking at the finishing order, seeing Ryan in 30th with several cars behind him. Moving on from from there, we uh, they called the drivers at 8.45 p.m. Eastern Time. Got it started just after 9 o'clock Eastern Time. So a little bit later, it wasn't normally with rain delays. We're used to, you know, a pretty decent chunk of the race being started. In this case, we're only 15 laps into a 200-lap event. So I, I had gone on during... Uh, the rain delay and looked on wikipedia and some other places to see how long an average daytona 500 takes and it was around uh three hours and 45 minutes so i was counting back a little bit and i'm like i bet you best case scenario they take the checkered flag at midnight eastern and i think it ended up being around 12 15 yeah right around there yeah they um they didn't uh there wasn't a lot of they ended up single file um for the next two stages a lot um, but it did cause that interesting strategy with the different teams pitting at different points and trying to stick with your, uh, your manufacturer that, that did kind of make it interesting, a uh, little drama at the end of the stages here and there, but, uh, Denny took stage one, Denny took stage two, Denny looked like he should have won the race really in the long run, but there, those pit strategies, um, in that final stage really did kind of jumble the field and made it. So even though they were single file for a while, they're there weren't a lot of teams next to each other or near each other. So when somebody was going to pull out um, and try to make some passes, uh, not everybody was with them to do it. And that, that is what made it interesting at the end. Yeah. I was thought it was a little bit concerning for the Toyotas because the Fords were pitting together, the Chevys were pitting together and the Toyotas, even though there was, they were only about four strong and then uh, fewer than that toward the end. Um, they still pitted together instead of trying to, latch on to one of the other manufacturers to keep up with the pack. So I was worried, but that, that first round of stops, um, live green flag stops, they did that. And then they were fine because they came out all right together, but you're right. That last round of pit stops that happened, Hamlin came in and Wallace and, uh, two other guys. And Hamlin had mentioned in his post-race interview, you know, our crew did too well. <laughs> I think they all took two tires, but they did it faster than any of the other teams. And Denny ended up way out ahead of all of them. Mm-hmm. And um, it didn't work out. They couldn't get hooked up together. And then when that pack of Fords came by, uh, Hamlin, I think, tried to make some maneuvers to to slow them down a little bit because he went to the outside and kind of made the Fords go down low. 
but he wasn't able to get in line until right at the back of that. And like you were just saying, the manufacturer, especially the Ford stuck together there and nobody moved. And Denny was frustrated with that. He was saying, you know, he thought at least, you know, five laps to go, four laps to go. He said, if you're going to try to make a move to win the 500, you're not going to win from eighth or ninth place by making a move in the last lap. So, yeah. He was a little bit frustrated, but I think he was really thought, and he, I mean, the dominant car of the day, the two stage wins, really thought he was going to be able to win that third straight. Yeah, when they, um, you know, waiting till the last, basically the back stretch of the last lap to make the pass, <clears throat> excuse me, is probably, you know, hate to say it's probably going to become the norm as long as they race like that. I don't know what next year's package is going to look like and what, what it's going to do to the cars, but uh, the next couple of restrictor plates are probably going to look the same if they end up if they end up single file at the end of the race, you're going to see the same type of thing where you just kind of wait, 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 and hopefully get that push on the last lap because, and we've seen Ryan and Ryan do it before actually where three or four to go, he tries to pull out and nobody comes with him. And then what you're hanging out, trying to side draft your way back up and you know, it, it ends up being fruitless until the last, like I said, the last lap when everybody starts to scatter. So it's really tough. You never know what you're going to get at those tracks. And honestly, I think the the rain delay played a lot in that early cl- crash, played a lot into those guys deciding, because pretty much it was like start of a stage, everyone was bunched together, they raced side by side for a while, and then they went into that single file train, because I think they just were already frustrated at how long of a day it was. They don't want to cause another crash immediately, so they just held their cards all the way till the bitter end except the stage breaks were the only times where they were really forced to race side by side because there wasn't really anything to gain really mm-hmm. um i you know going back a couple years ago there was an xfinity race um either daytona or talladega where they just ran a train one uh, single file for almost the entire race and the race finished up and i remember nascar not being exactly happy with what happened there because there was no no excitement in that whole race. And I think uh, the cup guys even got a talking to the next day. And when it came out, uh, the race was a little bit, a little bit more exciting. And I think it was uh, another one that I had gone to. And I remember being concerned after seeing the Xfinity race. I'm like, man, I hope we don't go to this race and it's just single file the whole day. Cause that's not going to be fun at all. Yeah. There's, there's not much you can do about it right now. Like I said, maybe the package next year is going to change some things um, either that or make the, um, make the plates the spacers uh you know, smaller or bigger i don't know something do something that would change the how the cars drive you know and there's just so many unknowns i mean this is a whole topic for another day or off-season podcast or something but with this new next-gen car coming in we package or not we have no idea what's going to happen there i know that they've done probably plenty of uh tests and aerodynamic studies and things on their own simulators to try to predict what's going to happen but you really don't know so who knows when, when it comes back to the daytona 500 next year um it's going to be completely different and hopefully ryan has a little bit more uh involvement in that this is kind of a weird race review for us we you know expected to be able to talk about ryan's races but i guess it didn't really take into account what happens when you crash out in the 14th lap so mm-hmm. skipping all the way to the finish there um it didn't end up being that great of a day for Team Penske, did it? Oh, no, no, no. Ryan, what Ryan said earlier in the week about uh, if you're going to make a move like that, you got you better win. Um, oops, that's exactly what didn't happen. But once again, if you're in the front, if you're the guy in the front, you got to try and block. You do. 
You got to try and block the momentum. You got to try and block the run. You got to hope that you get hit squarely. If you're the guy behind him and you get the push, you got to try and wiggle your way around the guy. You're not going to win the race just sitting there behind him. So the bad part about it is they both took each other out. The 33 car ended up in there too. So Austin got taken out. Yeah. And you know, a lot of carnage, um, but the 34 getting through was uh, kind of exciting. Yeah. It was a really, really horrific crash. Um, one of those ones that takes your breath away, mainly just due to their fuel cells exploding on, I think multiple cars, definitely Brad Keselowski's when he kind of went backwards up into the fence. So you see these cars just engulfed in flames and you're not really sure who won the race. Um, you know, at first you're like, oh, are they going to race back to the finish line? But then NASCAR throws the caution. Uh, saw a lot of people giving them flack for that on Twitter and other social media. But if you just look at the replays, look at those photos, cars are on fire. I don't care where they are out on the track. You're going to you should throw the caution flag, especially with what we saw last year uh, at the finish of that 500. Yeah, it's been 20 years since NASCAR's lost a driver in a live race, but um I think I would rather see them throw the caution, be safe, try to get to those drivers as quickly as possible. And I'm just going to gloat a little bit here in the fact that I 100% predicted to you during the race that the leaders were going to wreck themselves and Michael McDowell was going to scoot through and win the race. Uh, did I not say that to you? Things are time stamped. And uh... <laughs> <laughs> let me go back here one second. Wow. At 12.03, so you called it about, what, about 10 to 15 minutes before it happened. I'm not saying I'm really that great at predictions because that's probably the first prediction. I'm horrible at them, and you know this. This is probably the first thing I've ever predicted to you that's actually come true because um, I have plenty of predictions about what's going to happen with Ryan that never, ever come true, good or bad. Uh, but this one, I don't know. It, I had a gut feeling that with McDowell running up front in the position that he was in line, I was like, there's a pretty decent chance in my head that whoever's leading, someone throws a block, those two go crashing, and McDowell just shoots through the gap and wins the race. And that just happens to be exactly what happened. Obviously frustrated and a little bit sad for what happened to the Team Penske drivers. Um, scary crashes there. Luckily they all walked away. Um, I think I said to you that there's basically a big dump truck full of busted up cars heading back to uh, North Carolina to the Team Penske shop. Maybe they'll be able to sell off a lot of that for charity or something, sign some pieces of sheet metal, but um, that's about all they're good for now. But extremely excited for Michael McDowell. He is a Ford driver, so that kind of helps out a little bit there. Um, but in the interactions that I've had with him at the track, He's one of those guys that does the pre-race interviews and sticks behind and will meet with fans. And we have hats and shirts and banners here that are signed by a lot of Ford drivers just because those are also the meet and greets that Ryan's at. But McDowell's one that will kind of stand there for a little bit and talk with fans. And that was one of the first things my wife said was like, oh, he signed my hat last year. And I'm like, yes, he did. So um, really, really excited for him to uh, win the Daytona 500, his first race that he's ever won, and uh, comes in NASCAR's biggest race. Yeah, let's. Um, they're in the playoffs. So now the rest of their season can be a lot of fun. They can really try and figure out some things, and maybe, who knows, be a little bit of a spoiler at the end of the year. So I guess that really wraps up our Daytona 500 review for Ryan Blaney. We barely talked about Ryan Blaney just because he ended up crashed out of that race. But now 
uh, we're moving on, going road course racing this week. Ryan Blaney, Weekend Preview. Daytona International Speedway Road Course. Yeah, now this is a, this is kind of fun because at least he got some practice on the road course already this year. It's the same road course they were at for the Clash, and um, should be interesting to see what happens with these uh, with some of the other guys who weren't in the Clash. But they did race that road course last year, so uh, a lot of guys had the experience on it now, and should be fun to watch. We know that he can go into Turn One and do some things. So, yeah, this is another example of the Daytona road course being added to the schedule. It was announced last year that they're going to run the Clash on the road course, and it kind of got people excited. Then at the end of last year's uh, kind of pandemic change schedule they couldn't do any i can't remember if this one replaced the watkins Glen race or if it replaced the sonoma race but it was one of the two and it gets added to the schedule they go down there uh, unfortunately for ryan that first go round on the daytona road course didn't really go that well he started 24th and then finished 31st he was kind of a non-factor for most of the day there i think that'll be different uh, this time around because they definitely He's learned a little bit about the breaking points and uh, definitely has some errors he likes to pass in. And he definitely showed that last week. So some of those other guys are going to have to look out for him because he's going to come elbows up. Yeah, that performance in the clash, obviously, it was it was really good. It was really consistent. I know we talked about in our episode last week that he started up front on the pole. He did lose the lead, but he was catching Hamlin again. Um in the couple of times that, that he needed to obviously cycled back all the way back through the lead at the end kind of got crashed out in that last chicane so had a chance at winning really really interested to see what ryan does with the full race under his belt coming up next week um we talked about in our season preview that ryan is a pretty accomplished road course racer he has the win at the charlotte roval and then he also won a truck series race at did we say it was canadian tire yeah, Motorsports yeah. Park. Mm-hmm. I brought up a name from the past because Ryan had a pretty exciting, exciting finish there in the Truck Series where he beat Herman Quiroga to the finish line. Uh, so that was his first win on a road course. Goes to the Cup Series a couple of years. They debut at the Roval. Wins the first race on the Roval. Ryan overall on road courses has a 13.2 average finish. So I'm expecting big things as long as he can keep his car clean here. The biggest thing that we saw during the clash, really, and I don't know that they're really even going to address this because this is more of a stock car drivers just need to stay on track situation, but parts of that road course kind of turned into a dirt track. Maybe they should put uh, turtles in back there that are a little bit bigger or something because, yeah, guys were running over it and turning it into dust, and if that ends up being mud, they're going to be in deep trouble. I haven't checked what the forecast is going to be this week, but... Being that it's Florida, I would say there's a pretty decent chance that it's going to rain again. Hopefully not on race day, though. The rain at the Roval uh, for the Xfinity race, and I know there's threatening rain for the Roval last year. Fans got really excited about it. Uh, Fans at home watching on TV, I should say, but I definitely know that the broadcasters out there in the turns uh, for the radio side and any fans that were probably out in the stands weren't exactly excited about uh, rain coming in and and inter- intervening in those races but it does make the cars slip and slide just a tiny bit so we're lo- looking back at ryan's last several road course starts i'm going to go all the way back to when he won the roval on september 30th 2018 they went to sonoma he finished third they went to watkins Glen. he finished fifth they went to the roval again for the second time the next year finished eighth then he went to the daytona road course last year finished 31st so that one's kind of the one that Stands out as being odd there. Went to the Roval for a third time last year, finished fifth, 
and then the clash race credited with a 13th place finish though he was a couple hundred yards away from taking home the trophy that day and yeah, this um the only thing that uh, we do know coming in now is i tried to do some calculations today on the starting positions and uh had a little help to found we found a resource or two online possibly and uh it's going to be starting a little deeper in the field it looks like either it's 28th or 26th um Depends on my math and how wrong my math is, but uh, he's going to be starting a little deeper in the field. But, uh, they'll, I'm sure they'll have some sort of a strategy to get him some track position. Yeah, Steve busted out his slide rule earlier today and was trying to calculate some things. And uh, he was telling me, you know, I think I'm going to get my, you know, get my calculator out, try to do the math, try to figure out these starts. And I said, more power to you, Steve, because <laughs> I'm definitely I'm the the reading statistics guy. I'm not the the figuring out the math guy. So if Steve's going to be that guy, I'm all for that. So, like he said, Ryan's starting in the back of the field there, 26 to 28th around there, depending on um, some things like fastest lap and some other driver changes throughout the field and that kind of stuff. So. What do you think it's going to do to him starting in the back of the pack? Obviously for the clash, he starts at the front um, last year. So, I mean, I guess last year, the Daytona road course, he started 24th. So he's kind of in that same area. Didn't work out well then. Well, I think uh, the big thing will be just, you know, it's more cars to pass. That's all. Some guys take it as having some fun. And uh, like I said, I'm sure that they'll have a strategy um, that'll do something with tires and pit stops and, and, and the way the stages are broke down. So, they'll come across at the end of the first stage and be somewhere up there near the front where they need to be. Yeah. I would actually assume that there's going to be points in this race where Ryan's in the back starting it. I think there will be a strategy call at some point that will get him at least mid to the front of the pack. Then there's going to be another point in the race where the strategy is going to reverse. He's going to be shuffled back in the back a little bit. And then if Todd plays his cards right and Ryan does a good job of keeping the car clean throughout the day, have a chance to be back up in the top 10, top five. If there's a late restart, he showed during the clash that as long as he's in that 8th to 10th position, he had some pretty decent moves on the outside of one of the restarts and then also on the inside of one of the restarts going into that first turn. Except for there's, yeah, one time when uh, he was starting on the front row, went into the first turn, didn't work out too well. But I think he learned some lessons there, as you said earlier. So he's he's got some... Uh, notes in his notebook on this track now they've been there twice he was really really close to victory and i think he can put those to use this week when they head back back to daytona but on the road course this week at uh, daytona international speedway yeah they got to make up some points uh start start racing for points a little bit now because they uh 25th in standings right now and uh 13 points out of the 16th spot um now win is the big thing if you can win a race then you don't have to worry about 16th position but as of right now you can get some points together get up to that 16th spot and then work your way forward from there yeah and if i'm right last year coming out of the daytona 500 with his second place finish plus his stage points he was uh leading the cup series points for the first few weeks of the season so this is a complete role reversal here where he goes crashes out of the daytona 500 really early before he could ever even get any stage points and let alone getting uh, points at the end of the race. So you're right, this 12 car has some work to do, and I think they're up for the challenge. So Get, get a top 10 and get, to, get us to those mile and a halfs. So again, if you want to catch the race, the NASCAR Cup Series race, it's running this Sunday, February 21st, 3 p.m. on Fox. You can catch the drivers of the NASCAR Cup Series turning left and right at Daytona International Speedway. 
Ryan Blaney, starting somewhere between 26 and 28. He's going to be a driver to keep your eye on. He's a little bit of road course ace, and we'll be looking forward to that. How'd you do with your fantasy team this week, Adam? My fantasy team was not that great. Um, <laughs> I uh, Looking back at the at the Team Blaney NASCAR Fantasy Live League, I thought I had some decent picks in there. I went and I tried to not pick all the, the main guys, just knowing how these super speedway races can go. So going into the race, I had William Byron in my garage. I had Bubba Wallace. I had Austin Dillon. I had Ryan. I had David Reagan. And I had Daniel Suarez. So in that first crash, William Byron was involved. David Reagan was involved. Ryan was involved. Daniel Suarez was involved. Um, unfortunately for me, of the people that participated, it's a little bit shaky as the season starts, everyone remembering that they're in the league and to set drivers. So I think I'm third from last in the standings of people that actually set a lineup. Not not that great of a debut for me. I'm kind of in the same boat as Ryan Blaney at this point. I had Ford as the leading manufacturer, so I had that right. And I did have Chase Elliott on the team, so uh, he scored a bunch of points there too. So I ended up uh, 27th so far. Um, let's see who's leading here. Team Penske's leading with 211, so I am 144. So I'm a little ways off, but he can make up those points in a week or two, no problem. Yeah, I think I'm in the standings around the in the 40s. My bonus picks, I had picked Austin Dillon to win the race. Very close to that being correct. I picked Chase Elliott to be the top Chevrolet, and I think that ended up being right, so that was a good pick. I picked Eric Almirola to be the top Ford. That didn't work out so well. And I picked Kyle Busch to be the top Toyota, and that didn't turn out that well either. <laughs> so um, I thought they, they seemed like they were going to be good picks, So, but you just never know. The fun of it, though, is when you do happen to pick the race winner right and have a good couple showings in those bonus picks and things. You can really pick up some points and keep yourself interested in this thing. So again, if you want to join the Team Blaney NASCAR Fantasy Live League, you can find the links on the Facebook page, the Team Blaney Facebook page, and also on the Team Blaney Twitter page. If you're on NASCAR Fantasy Live and you search Team Blaney, you should also be able to find us through there. You can join, I think, any time during the season because you might go on a streak halfway through and still end up in the playoffs. So come join us and have some fun with that. This week in NASCAR history. February 15th, 1948, Red Byron wins the first NASCAR-sanctioned auto race in a 1939 modified Ford owned by Raymond Parks and tuned by Red Voigt. Of the 62 cars that entered, 50 started, a crowd of 14,000 that paid $2.50 each to see the race on the Daytona Beach Road Course. That's some great names, too. Yeah, I mean, By Red Byron, Raymond Parks... Uh, I don't I think he might be in the NASCAR Hall of Fame now. If not, he should be. Um, 14,000 people, $2.50. I know uh, from what tickets cost these days, that, that's a steal. Uh, the conditions weren't that great. I don't think you really had seats there. I think maybe they had a little, a few stands, but I think for the most part, people were standing up and watching that. So that's 1948. Red Byron wins the first NASCAR-sanctioned race on the Daytona Beach Road Course. This week in NASCAR history, February 15th, 1976, David Pearson creeps across the finish line at 20 miles per hour to beat Richard Petty in a stunning finish to the Daytona 500. Pearson and Petty swap the lead four times on the final lap and tangle off the fourth turn. Pearson gets his Mercury straightened out and crosses the finish line first. 20 miles an hour? Did he run out of gas? <laughs> no, he, um... I think he spun, yeah. Or they, they kind of hit each other off of turn four. He was able to gather his car back up not at a lightning pace 
but yes, he crosses the finish line 20 miles per hour, and uh, David Pearson wins that Daytona 500 in 1976. This week in NASCAR history, February 18th, 1979, Richard Petty hustles past the crash cars of Cale Yarborough and Donnie Allison to win the Daytona 500, snapping his 45-race winless drought. Yarborough and Allison crash, then fight in the infield following a last lap incident. The Nielsen ratings for the CBS Live Television or telecast are a remarkable 10.5 with the final hour drawing an amazing 13.5 rating i know i just said that last finish was famous this one's probably the most famous and infamous uh finish of the daytona 500 with uh, yarborough and allison fighting it out <laughs> down there in the grass you almost forget that uh, richard petty won the race because of everything that was going on um back there in the, on the backstretch and finally, this week in NASCAR history, February 15th, 1998, with the Thunderbird no longer available, Ford introduces the Taurus for competition in NASCAR's 50th anniversary season. Dale Earnhardt ends two decades of frustration at the Daytona 500. Earnhardt, making his 20th start in NASCAR's annual Super Bowl, leads the final 61 laps and edges Bobby Labonte at the finish. It's the 71st win of Earnhardt's career, and he snaps a victory drought that dates back to 1996. This is arguably the biggest day. I mean, he's won seven championships, but the biggest day in Dale Earnhardt's career. Finally breaking through with crew chief Larry McReynolds and winning the 1998 Daytona 500, cruising down pit lane and high-fiving and handshakes all around from nearly every team on the circuit. I didn't watch NASCAR then, but you knew it happened. If you're a fan or not, you heard it on the news the next day. So that was a trip back in the past to NASCAR history, something that we were trying to do. We didn't do it last week. We're going to try to keep up with that from podcast to podcast, breaking out the record books there, finding some interesting tidbits, bringing them to you. A lot of them I'm not going to remember, but I've read about them or seen uh, things about them online or in person at the NASCAR Hall of Fame in Charlotte. So, But yeah, there's some interesting ones there. The Dale Earnhardt's first and only Daytona 500 victory, that fight in the infield, and then going all the way back to Red Byron winning the first NASCAR sanctioned race on the road course at Daytona. Yeah, some of the biggest moments in Daytona history for sure. All right, Steve, well, that's pretty much wraps up episode four of the Team Blaney podcast like we did last week. We're heading into the race on the Daytona road course. Steve, do you have any final predictions on where Ryan Blaney and the Team Penske number 12 Ford Mustang will finish this race? Let's go with eighth. I'm going to give it an actual number. I want top 10 to be great. Eighth, I think, is where we're going to end up. I definitely think a top 10 is attainable and i am going to do you one better and predict that ryan blaney will finish seventh is this the price is right i couldn't bet one dollar <laughs> so uh, i'm gonna go with seventh there <laughs> ryan blaney will get a top 10 i since he's coming that deep in the field i would love to see him and strategy calls work out and go out there and win this race but i think rebounding from the catastrophe that happened in for him in the daytona 500 coming back finishing top 10 maybe getting some stage points along the way will go a long way and we'll have hopefully a lot more to talk about in the next episode of the team Blaney podcast. So thank you everyone again for tuning in to this episode of the team Blaney podcast. If you'd like to learn more about myself or our co-host Steve here, please listen to our first episode that really dives deep into how we both became fans of the Blaney racing family. If you'd like to interact with us, you can also find Team Blaney on Twitter at Team Blaney and on Facebook at facebook.com slash Team Blaney. 
Don't forget, also download, rate, and subscribe to the Team Blaney Podcast on the Apple and Google Podcast apps. Once again, to close out the show, we want to remind you to check out the Ryan Blaney Family Foundation. This organization, established in 2018, supports causes that have closely impacted the Blaney family, including the Alzheimer's Association and UPMC Sports Medicine. You can find out more about the foundation on its website, ryanblaneyfamilyfoundation.org, or on Twitter at rbfamfoundation, and finally on Facebook at facebook.com slash rbfamilyfoundation.org. And be on the lookout because this past Sunday, the day of the Daytona 500, they put out an announcement there that a fan club is returning for Blaney fans. It's going to be called the Blaney Bunch. So keep a lookout on, I mean, we'll retweet or, you know, post anything we can about this, the news when it comes out, but also on the Ryan Blaney Family Foundation social media accounts and website for more information on when they launch that fan club. So for my co-host, Steve Mez, I'm Adam Rogers. We'll catch you next time here on the Team Blaney Podcast.